What a good day to be in the Lord's house. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to focus this morning on the Ten Commandments. Uh, when you say the phrase Ten Commandments, everybody knows what you're talking about, right? It is just uh, a part of popular culture, as well as uh, what many people would say a cornerstone uh, to our faith as Christians. Uh, Jewish people would also say that it was a cornerstone to their faith. Uh, e even uh, Muslims, while they do not hold to the authority of the Old Testament, uh, they do have high regard for Moses and they have a very, very similar list. Uh, in their book, it is a list of nine commandments. Uh, this, this idea of the Ten Commandments is just, it, it, you just find it everywhere you turn, both in religious life and secular life. Uh, in our popular culture, we have made this a point of political debate, the Ten Commandments. We have made movies about the Ten Commandments. We put ornamental copies of the Ten Commandments in our homes. Uh, we have an ornamental copy of the Ten Commandments here hanging in one of the hallways in our church, and that's a very good thing. The Ten Commandments are everywhere, but there are some problems with the Ten Commandments. Let me share with you three very quickly. First of all, while everybody knows what you mean when you say the Ten Commandments, most people don't know what they are. And if you press people to name the Ten Commandments, they don't get very far. Uh, most people could say, do not murder, and some people would get to steal, and we know that there's something in there about adultery, but you really, most people can't get any further than that. And, 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 and even people in the church oftentimes would have great difficulty just taking out a piece of paper and writing down the Ten Commandments. We're familiar with them in general, but specifically we, we struggle. An another problem with the Ten Commandments is that oftentimes we just don't understand what they mean. We, we, we may think we understand, but when we give it a little more thought, we just scratch our heads. Now, the Bible says, for instance, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. What does that mean? Well, we, we generally say it means that there are about three or four English curse words that you should never say. But surely that's not what, what God meant and surely that's not what Moses thought as he read the commandments to the people. There wasn't even a such thing as English back then. And if it were just as simple as three or four words you're not supposed to say, then it would have been much easier if God would have just given us the word somehow. I, I don't know. It's got to mean something more than just a prohibition against pronouncing certain syllables together. So we struggle even knowing sometimes what the commandments mean. You know, the last commandment says, uh, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's donkey. Now, now, how in the world did that make the list of the top ten? I mean, if you're going to come up with a list of 10 things that people should never do, would you include do not covet your neighbor's donkey on your top 10 list? And so certainly there must be something to that commandment that, we're, that we just don't know. And, and so the, the second problem is we're just not very, very comfortable with what the commandments mean. I, I just think that on many of the commandments, I mean, do not steal, we know what that means. Some of them are more simple than others. But oftentimes we just don't know what they mean. But the third problem, and this is the one we want to address today, people generally have no idea what the commandments are for. Uh, I, I think if you were to ask 100 people on the street here in Nacogdoches 
What's the purpose of the commandment? At least 90 of those would get it wrong. Most people do not know in this town or any town what the purpose of the commandments uh, is. And so over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to focus on the commandments. We have five weeks, so we're not going to focus on every commandment, but we're going to focus on some of the mysteries that surround the Ten Commandments. What do they really mean? And what is their real purpose in their lives? And I think as we have a better understanding of the Ten Commandments, sometimes from a 30,000-foot view, and sometimes we're, we're going to get right down to the nitty-gritty, but as we have a better understanding of the commandments, we're, we're going we're gonna to be blessed. These are wonderful. This is a gift that God has given to us. Us, and I want us to, I want us to be more familiar with it in the days to come. So, what is the purpose of the commandments? Well, most people would say that the commandments are given to us as a roadmap for how we can have a right relationship with God. That these are the entry requirements. This is the membership list. And you've got to do these things in order to be accepted by God. These are the things that God wants lost people to do in order to be saved people, in order to be in God's family. And, and I think churches often perpetuate this, this idea in their teaching, in their preaching, and sometimes even in their church signs. Do you get a kick out of some of the church marquees that you see, especially in, in rural towns where they, where they try to communicate some sermon just in a few words on a sign? And oftentimes those signs reference the commandments. And here's the gist of what they will say when they do reference the commandments. Follow these commandments or burn in hell. Have you seen those signs? I mean, they come up with a clever way of saying it, but that's the theology. Follow these commandments. They're telling the people who are driving their cars down the road, follow these commandments or you will be condemned to hell for the rest of your life. Church, listen. That is not the purpose, the meaning, or the message of these Ten Commandments. People generally believe that if we're going to find acceptance with God, that we have to follow these rules. People believe that God is good and we're bad, and if we're going to have any hope of being right with God, we've got to get gooder somehow. We've got to be better at following the rules, and then God will accept us. But that's not what the commandments teach. And because we believe that, because so many people believe that, because so many churches seems they teach that, we end up with two groups of lost people. By lost people, I mean people who do not have a connection with God, who are not in God's family. Two groups of lost people come from this wrong understanding of the Ten Commandments. Group number one is a group that would say, I can keep the commandments, so I must be right with God. There are some people that just believe that they're good enough at keeping the rules, that they can keep the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments, and because they can keep them so well, then they must be right with God. Those people, church, have deceived, deceived themselves. And in the, in the New Testament, we see these people represented by the Pharisees. And so Jesus encountered these people. He called them the Pharisees. They were called the Pharisees. And they were people who believed that they could keep the rules well enough that God would accept them. And they, they would excel at keeping the rules so that they could earn the favor of God. They thought that they were that good at keeping the rules 
And you know, there are people like that everywhere. Sometimes there are people like that in the church. You know, some people are just better at keeping the rules, it seems, than other people. And, and, and those people oftentimes are just attracted to the church. And there are some people that are just more moral and they're just more disciplined and they, and they just have more determination and they're pretty good at keeping the rules, at least pretty good compared to some other people. And so, so they, they swell their chest with pride and they believe that somehow they can be good enough to, to earn their, their relationship with God. The bad news to people in group one is that they actually are lousy at keeping the commandments. What they are good at is deceiving themselves. And the reason why they think they're, they're good at keeping the commandments is simply because they're comparing themselves to other people instead of comparing themselves to the righteousness of God. God rejects the righteousness, the, the goodness that those people think they have but oftentimes people end up in that group because of this wrong understanding of the Ten Commandments. Now, there is a second group of people, not just those who believe they can keep the commandments, so they must be right with God, but group number two, there are people who think that they cannot keep the commandments, so they will never be right with God. Now, this is the larger group. Some people have heard the commandments all their lives. They've heard uh, pastors preach and teach on them. They've read them. They've seen them on signs and billboards. They have seen them on church signs. And so they've come to the conclusion that there's no way I could ever keep those commandments. And as a result, I could never be right with God. And you hear people like that say things like this. I've been pretty good the last couple of weeks. Uh, so maybe now God will listen to my prayers and they will say something like that because they believe that their goodness, how well they have kept the rules, is determining their current status with God. Or they'll say things like this, I've had a rough week, so maybe I need to get saved again. Or maybe I need to, I need to do something really spiritual in order to get back in God's good grace. But there's nothing we can do. Listen, church, there's no list of commandments you can keep that that are going to give you the relationship with God that you so badly desire. The good news is that you can't keep the commandments, but that God has another way. So I want to show you the purpose of the commandments this morning. And we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 20. This is where we find the commandments uh, in the Bible. Oftentimes people uh, just don't know where they would be located, but that's, that's where it is, Exodus chapter 20. And we'll begin with, uh, with verse 1. Bible says, then God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. Okay, there if we stop, we've read depending on how you count the commandments, we've read the first commandment. Uh, you should know if you pick up a, a book on the commandments or if you really look at some of the ornamental uh, plaques that you'll see around uh, of the Ten Commandments, that there are about five different ways to count to the commandments. And so according to Jew, Jewish tradition, I just read the first two commandments. According to uh, evangelical Christian commandment uh, tradition, I just read the first commandment. Now, you don't care, and it really doesn't matter how you number them, uh, but you'll notice if you go into somebody's home, and oftentimes they will have bought a, 
a Ten Commandment ornamental something to hang on the wall, and they didn't recognize that it was uh, from a Eastern Orthodox or a, a, a Jewish tradition, and the numbers will be different than what you're familiar with in the Christian church. But the commandments are the same, so I don't know why I tell you that. It's not that important. But here, here's what I want you to see. As we read those first three verses, one or two commandments, depending on how you want to count them, I want you to notice the first word. It says, then God spoke these words. Now, what that tells us, then, is that we've really started in the middle of a conversation. We're going to see the Ten Commandments over the next 17 verses, but really the commandments are part two of a fuller presentation that God has given the Israelites. God has given them this full presentation. The Ten Commandments are just part B, and that's where we put our focus. But if we're going to really understand the purpose of the commandments, we need to go to part A and see the first half of the presentation uh, that God gave. So we're going to turn back to Exodus 19. And here's how I want to do this this morning. I'm going to give you some principles, four principles that will help guide us into understanding the Ten Commandments. I will give you the principle and then we'll read the passage and, and you'll see it borne out in Scripture. Now you may notice in your outline that on each of the points, if you're looking at the paper outline, it'll say Leviticus uh, chapter 20 or Leviticus chapter 19. And I have no idea why it says that. I think Andre snuck in and changed it because that's what he wanted me to preach on today. But, um, but I, I mean for it to say Exodus. So sorry, Andre, I'll, maybe we'll get to that one next week. Um, no, I just, I just goof somehow when I, when I type that. All right, so the first principle is this. The guide to understanding the commandments, the rescue came before the commandments. The rescue came before the commandment. So let's look back at chapter 19, verse 1. It says, in the third month, from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. So God has rescued them from slavery uh, in Egypt. They had been there for 400 years, slaves in Egypt. They were hopeless. They, they, they couldn't overthrow the Egyptian government. They couldn't get their freedom until God intervened through a series of miracles under the leadership of Moses and God frees them because of God's power, because of God's love. God frees them from this hopeless uh, existence there in Egypt and they've come to the Sinai wilderness. This is three months later. Verse 2, they traveled from uh, Rephidim, uh, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. So this is a mountain. This is the same place, by the way, where Moses had originally heard from God through the burning bush when God said, go set my people free. And so now they're back to that place. Well, Moses is back. For the rest of the Israelites, it's their first time there. And they've come before this mountain. And Moses must have been a little nostalgic. We're finally back. This is where all of this began. And now we are back. Verse 3, Moses went up the mountain to talk to God. Moses had talked to God once before on the mountain. Now he's going to talk to him again. So Moses went up the mountain to talk to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob. That's the nation of Israel. And explain to the Israelites this in verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings 
and brought you to myself. Now, here's the important thing. He's talking about how God had rescued them from slavery. So the question is, which came first, God's rescue or the commandments? Which came first? Was it God rescuing them from the, from the Egyptians and from the slavery and from the oppression? Or was it the commandments that came first? Well, it was the rescue that came first. You see, we get this out of order. The, 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 the church signs about the Ten Commandments that you see so often on the side of the road, they get things out of order. We're telling people that you've got to follow the commandments and then God will rescue you from your sins. But if we look at how the commandments were given, what we see is that first came the rescue and then came the commandments. The commandments were a confirmation of the rescue. They were not the roadmap to the rescue. Why were the Israelites rescued? Why were they rescued? Was it because they kept the Ten Commandments? No. When they were rescued, they didn't even know that there were Ten Commandments. They had never heard of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments had not been given. You know why God rescued them? Because they trusted the Lord. You could go back to Exodus chapter 12, and I won't take the time to read it, but it's the first dozen verses in Exodus chapter 12. It tells us why God, how God rescued them. It says that God visited them through Moses and, and gave them some instructions and said that they were to go and take a, a lamb or a goat and they were to, they were to slaughter, the, slaughter the animal and they were to prepare it as a meal, which is something that they did all the time. So that seems weird to us, but it would not have been weird to them. But then God told them to do something that was weird to them. God said, I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the doorpost of your house. And I want you to spread that blood on the doorpost of the house. And then when I pass over, you've heard of the Passover. This is where it comes from. When, I, when the death angel passes over, he will spare your house and you will be free from the Egyptians. And that was the, the process by which God set them free. The Egyptians the next day, uh, because of the plague that God had brought, the Egyptians said, go, go, leave us. And they were free from the Egyptians, but they were free because of what? Because they trusted God. God gave them this instruction. It was an unusual instruction. Take the blood from the lamb and wipe it on the doorpost and the lintel of your, of, of your home. And, and when you do that, when you demonstrate that you trust me, then I will save you. Which Israelites got saved, by the way? The ones who trusted how does God, why does God save us? Not because we keep the Ten Commandments, but because we trust God. Which came first, the rescue or the commandments? The rescue always comes first. The commandments are not a 10-step program to be right with God. The commandments are not 10 requirements for membership. The commandments are given to those already in the family. Uh, you know, at my house, we have some rules. I have some rules for my kids to follow. And my wife has some rules for me to follow. That's just how it works in our house. So I tell my kids, they have to follow my rules. Now, you tell me, are the rules that I have for my kids, are they how you become a child at my house? Or are they how you operate as a child at my house? Well, they're how you operate. It, it, the, my kids, I have three daughters. They're not my daughters because they kept the rules. I, I, we, we didn't just have kids walking up and down the street and the first three of them that obeyed the rules, we just said, well, you're ours. 
No, they didn't get in because they kept the rules. No, the only reason they have rules is that they're in. I don't give other kids rules. I don't walk up to your kids and say, now listen, Saturday morning, you need to clean the kitchen. I mean, that's not, I'm, I mean, I wish I could, but I can't because they're not in my family. God doesn't give rules. God, well, let me say it this way. God gave these rules because the Israelites were in the family. The rules weren't to get in the family. The rules were confirmation. You are in the family. I'll tell you how I became a child of God. I, I, I guilty of, of sins and, and, and lived a, a, a life that I'm embarrassed about and ashamed of. And I rebelled against God and I think I broke just about every commandment just about every day. And somebody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me and said that there's hope with Jesus and you can be forgiven. I didn't clean up my life. I didn't stop breaking the commandments. I didn't try to get seven days in a row of keeping the commandments or 30 days or 90 days. I just surrendered to God and God rescued me just like he did the Israelites. And then God began to work on me and he's still working on me and he still has a lot of work to do. But I want you to see that the rescue came first and the commandments came second. Now, the second thing I want you to learn about the 10 commandments, this guide to understanding is that it is impossible to approach God on one's own merit. We, we see that we're still reading here in uh, Exodus chapter 19 skip down to verse 10 by the way you should go home and read this whole chapter it, it is the the most neglected chapter in the old testament i think um, the verse 10 says the lord told moses go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow they must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day for the third day the lord will come down uh, on mount sinai in the sight of the people put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. So he tells them to go get cleaned up, to consecrate themselves, to wash their clothes. They didn't wash their clothes every day. They didn't take baths every day, but they did on this day. And so Moses says, you need to get cleaned up as much as you can. And so this was both a physical cleansing and a spiritual cleansing. Consecrate yourself. That means to cleanse your heart. And so they got as good as they could get. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they confessed every sin. They, 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 they stopped sinning for a little while the best they could. They got all washed up. They put on their Sunday best. But still, after that, after they had consecrated themselves, washed their clothes, they had done everything they could. Then God said, you still can't come up the mountain. You still can't approach me. Now, what is all that about? In fact, God said, if you try to approach me, you will die. If anybody touches the mountain, he will die. So why is God saying that even after you clean yourself up, even after you consecrate yourself, you still can't come to me? This is important. You can do all the stuff you know to do to clean yourself up to stop sinning, to fix your wrongs, to, put, to present yourself to God in the best way possible. Uh, you can try hard, you can turn over a new leaf, but still, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, you can't approach God. There's no cleaning of yourself that you could do in order to make yourself presentable to God. 
No, we're presentable to God, not because of the cleaning that we've done in our own lives, but because we have trusted what Christ has done for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, the message here is we need to quit telling people to straighten up and go to God and we need to turn it around. We need to start telling people, go to God and he will straighten you up. See, I think we've gotten that wrong for so long. I'm, th- I'm afraid that, that so many people in the, in, in the world have, have gotten this message from the church that you need to straighten up and then come to God. And that is the opposite of what it tells us here. And he gives us this illustration that even after these people straightened up, they still couldn't come to God because we're still guilty of sin. My own time ago, I was a youth pastor at a church, and I had a youth worker. His name was Richard, and he was a great youth worker. And I got to know him over, over some time. He shared with me his story. And so Richard uh, used to own uh, three after-hours bars. I didn't even know what that was when he told me. But, and you may not know. You may. But uh, apparently, bars stay open till late at night. I don't know, midnight or 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and this probably doesn't exist in Nacogdoches, I don't know, but maybe it does. But in larger cities, when the bars close down, then there's another kind of bar that opens up called an after-hours bar. I never heard of that. And it doesn't even open up till midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning. I can't imagine. I, would, I guess I'm just too old. I'd just go to bed. But, but apparently people want to go to these bars that open at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so he owned three of these bars in a city uh, not too far from the city where he was living when I knew him as a youth minister. And And he said that, not surprisingly, some pretty bad things happened in these bars from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Some pretty pretty nasty stuff happened in these bars. But he said he was well known in the city as the guy who owned these three after hours bars. And he said occasionally a, a preacher would come see him. A preacher would make an appointment or just stop by and say, you know, I'd like to come talk to you. And he said all the preachers said the same thing. All the preachers said, Richard, you need to straighten up or you're going to hell. Richard, you need to straighten up this sin. You need to, you need to sell these bars. You need to, you need to close them down or, or, or you're, you're doomed. And he said, I was so miserable in my sin, but that message just grated against me because I knew of the hypocrisy of so many people in the church. But he said, I heard it over and over again. You better straighten up or you're going to hell. He said, but one day a pastor, a preacher came to see me and he had a different message. That preacher came and sat down and said, Richard, I want you to know that God loves you and God wants to clean up the mess in your life. God wants to forgive you and God's already done the work. If you'd surrender to God right now, you'd see God bring such a remarkable change in your life. And Richard said, that's the message I needed to hear. And Richard responded to that message. He trusted the Lord. He said in two weeks, he was so aware of the sin and the, and, 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 and the terrible things that were going on in those businesses. It it just, his awareness just, just overwhelmed him. And he closed down all three, all three places and, and his life turned around and his marriage turned around and his family turned around. But, but, but it wasn't because he straightened things out to stay out of hell No, it's because he surrendered to God and God straightened things out. See, the Ten Commandments are not how we get close to God. No, they are confirmation that we are when we've trusted in Christ. 
Number three, very quickly, the commandments are an expression of the holiness of God. If you don't mind, I want to just come back to that next week when I can spend more time on it. But I didn't want to leave out the blanks because I know some of you can't go home until all of the blanks are filled. (laughs) Number four, obedience to the commandments is how we demonstrate our love and trust for God. So let's look back at Exodus chapter 19. And we read verse 4 a moment ago, but I want to read it again and then just continue reading the next two or three verses. Verse 4 says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, uh, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say uh, to the Israelites. See, he tells us here that the commandments are not an entrance for God. They're they're not how we have a relationship with God. Uh, But they're they're more than just a suggestion. Uh, They're more than just a helpful guide or tips for successful living. Are the commandments serious? Yes, they're serious. Don't leave here thinking, well, that pastor doesn't think they're serious. No, they are very serious. They're not the way we come to have a relationship with God, but they are very serious. And they're very serious for this reason. This is how we demonstrate our love for God. Once we have surrendered to Christ, once we have been forgiven of our sins, how do we demonstrate our love for God? By keeping the commandments. And we're going to see over the next few weeks what that means specifically. But, but it's by keeping the commandments that we demonstrate to God that we love him. How do you show God you love him? You might say, well, we come to church every week or we sing. And that's very important. The Bible commands us to sing. Of course we ought to sing. But you know that singing is sort of the icing on the cake of showing our love for God. My relationship with my wife, would my wife like me to give her flowers every week? Would my wife, does she like for me to say, I love you? Well, certainly she does. Those are important things to do. But if I was, if I was doing those things at the same time I was being unfaithful to her, then those things wouldn't have meaning anymore, right? If I was sending my wife flowers once a week, but I wasn't being faithful to her, she wouldn't want the flowers. No, the real way I demonstrate my love for my wife is to be faithful to her in other ways as well. But that's sort of the kernel of my love. So certainly we're to come and sing these wonderful, beautiful songs. Absolutely, we would be disobedient if we did not. But it's, it's not primarily the songs we sing that demonstrate our love for God. It is the obedience with which we live. You want to know how to honor God? The Ten Commandments tell us how to do that. One, two, three, four. These are the ways that you show God that you love him and that you trust him. That's the value of, of the commandments. You know, oftentimes... When we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of them as a a terrible burden. Uh, In fact, I've heard people joke and say, well, at least there are only ten. You know, but why couldn't God have just given us three? You know, why do they have to be ten? But I want you to know the Israelites didn't see it that way. The Israelites didn't hear of the Ten Commandments and say, oh no, Ten Commandments, that's going to be hard. No, the The Israelites saw the commandments as God saying, you are mine. 
And here's how we're going to do family together. This was a confirmation. This was, this was a part of the assurance that they had that they were children of the one true living God and that Yahweh, that the God of Abraham was their father because they, they had these commandments. And I want these commandments to us to be not a burden, but to be the assurance that we have that we are a part of the family of God if we've put our trust in him. You know, one of the things that I know is true is that many people who come to church week in and week out just struggle with that assurance. That you, you struggle with knowing for certain that, that you are a child of God, that you've been accepted into his family. Because there's never been a time in your life when you've just surrendered, when you've trusted like the Israelites putting the blood on the, on the door. You say, God, I don't understand it all, but I just trust you and I surrender my life to you. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are, you can have that kind of assurance. In fact, I want to share with you just a brief video of a gentleman in our church that came to me a couple of months ago and said, Pastor, I haven't had assurance. I, I haven't had assurance, but I do now. And it is sweet and it is wonderful. And I was shocked and I tried to talk him out of it. I'm not a very good pastor, but he persisted. He said, no, I've got assurance now because I have surrendered my heart to Christ. And I want you to hear his story and then I want to issue a, uh, a challenge to you. Watch this. I'm John Young and I'm married to Marianne McCombs Young for a long time. <laughs> uh, probably came when my mother was pregnant. Okay. You've been here all your life. <laughs> all my life. Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think that you preached a, ser a sermon on Sunday night about uh, God sparing you from certain situations that could have been the end of your life. I've had a lot of situations where I was uh, in real bad, dangerous health. That made me think that he had spared me to uh, accept him as Christ. I've, I've wrestled with it for years. I never didn't come to a conclusion until that sermon you preached. That's what it was, was that I uh, couldn't come up with an assurance that I had been saved. Sometimes I'd think I had, and sometimes I'd think I hadn't. And it meant that uh, I knew exactly where I was going if things didn't uh, work out. I would say that if you don't know for, for sure that you are saved, that now is the time to do it. It's not next week or maybe next month or whenever I get to a certain situation, you can't worry about what everybody else thinks. You have to do it for yourself. Nobody can do it for you. We're not guaranteed any lifetime. And if you're not, you're not. If you're not, you better get with the program. I would tell them that it's uh, a great, great feeling to know once and for all that the uh, question is not there anymore. You got an answer. Jesus is the answer.
me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. You know, I'm afraid for so many people the Ten Commandments just represent a hurdle that they can't get across. And they try and they try and they try and they turn over a new leaf and they try to do better. They make promises. I never will do this again. I promise I'll always do that. And we come to church and we have a heart for God. We want to honor God. We, but we're struggling. But maybe this morning what you've learned from the Holy Spirit as he speaks through his word is that the Ten Commandments are not the way in. It's trusting God. It's surrendering and letting God change your life. It's repenting of your sin, certainly. But it's trusting God and saying, I surrender it all to you so you be the master of my life. I trust what Christ has done for me. And when we do that, whether this is our first Sunday or we've been here a thousand Sundays in a row, that's when we have that assurance. See, the Ten Commandments for the nation of Israel, everybody in that day, every pagan person in that day worshiped a God. But they never knew if they were okay with their pagan God. They always lived in fear. But God gave these Israelites this special list and it was confirmation that you're in my family. And God wants to confirm with you this morning if you'll put your trust in him. I'm telling you, when John came and talked to me, I, I thought, whoa, this is, I just don't know. But I've prayed about this and since then, I, I've just, the Lord has led me to believe that he would use this testimony to help some people who needed to make the same decision, respond to the Lord. And I'm telling you, today's the day. We're gonna stand and sing, and you can come down front, somebody will help you. Or honestly, listen, you can just pray right where you're seated, and you can tell us later so we can celebrate. But if you need to trust the Lord once and for all, let today be that day. Let's stand together as we sing.